0: Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. What's the next line? Special orders don't upset us. Special orders don't upset us. That's right. And then it goes on. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. About 45 years ago, in 1975, Burger King came out with their Have It Your Way campaign, where if you wanted fast food, you didn't have to get it any way they made it. You could have a burger made especially for you. And we liked that, didn't we? Now, some of you may be too old to remember. No, some of you not too old. Some may be too young to remember that. I mean, some of y'all aren't 45 yet. And, uh, and those of us that can remember, knowing that that was 45 years ago, really dates us and makes us feel old, I must say. But we liked it whenever that happened, because we wanted a hamburger made especially for us our way. I remember being up in Hartford, Connecticut, back in the old days, back in the 70s, and uh, uh, back about 1970 and I ordered a hamburger and they just brought me a meat and bun with I think some mayonnaise on it and some they'd asked me if I wanted onions on it and I said yes yeah. so they sprinkled the onions on top smashed them in and grilled them into the burger and put that before me and that was it and I looked at it and I asked the waitress I said uh Do you think you could put a little lettuce and tomato on this thing? And she looked at me and she said, that's a hamburger. If you want to order a salad, slap it on there. I'll be happy to fix you a salad. And the thing is, that's the way it was back then. Up north, they didn't put salad on hamburgers. That's changed, too, since McDonald's and some others, Burger King and all, have moved around. Now you can get a good burger anywhere in the world. In fact, whenever I travel, I uh, that's one of the things that I try every country I go to and I have yet to get a bad hamburger anywhere except one place. And that place I will not name because I don't want to be derogatory of a country. But uh, most places you can get great hamburgers these days, but uh, we like having it our way. And that's just the kind of people we are nowadays. We love customization. We like things being tailor-made, fit just for us. Now, the problem is that we don't stop with material customization. We also want it in our spiritual lives nowadays. We like our church customized to fit our needs We like our worship service customized just to our exact taste. In fact, unfortunately, we also want a God who is customized to conform to our preferences. We want a God who does it our way. And that's a problem because you see, he's God and it's not his job to cater to us. And to say, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. All I want to do is let you have it your way. Instead, he calls on us to surrender to him. And us say to him, have it your way. And yet that's not what has been happening. Several years ago, back around 2006... Two different secular publications noticed this trend in uh, Christianity and in churches here in the United States, and they commented about today's views of God and church. An author in the Las Vegas magazine, or Los Angeles magazine, uh, in an article called God for Sale, observed, it's no surprise that when today's affluent young professionals return to church, they want to do it only on their own terms. But what is amazing is how far the churches are going to oblige them. It was around that time that Sharon and I were visiting in California and we attended a very renowned and very well known church outside of uh, Los Angeles, and at that particular church that morning, we had to choose at the eleven o'clock service if we were going to be going to a jazz service, a Hawaiian service that people were bopping around wearing Hawaiian shirts and shorts, and uh, or a rock service or a contemporary service. We had to choose. I mean, we could have it our way. They had just about everything but a traditional service there. But uh, uh, that, that's just the way the trend is going to cater to try to get different groups of people and to match and mix. But anyway, Newsweek, around the same period of time and observing this, uh, said this. They've developed a pick-and-choose Christianity in which individuals take what they want and pass over what does not fit their spiritual goals. And what many have left behind is a sense of their own sin. It is into that setting that our words that we read this morning are found in, the, in Paul's epistle where he says that there's going to come a time when every tongue will confess, where every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Wilbur Reese expressed this attitude of people, this lackadaisical attitude of people toward God and toward Jesus and toward religion, even with uh, this uh, uh, prose, I guess you would call it. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to make him equal to a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, please. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Last week... We celebrated World Communion Sunday when Christians all around the world, as they gathered at the Lord's table, recognized those things that we are all supposed to be holding in common. And that at Jesus as Son, Savior, and Lord. And last week we looked at the fact that he is Savior And why everyone needs the salvation that God offers so graciously through Jesus Christ. We talked about the fact that there is definitely something God wants to save us from. And yes, it's from sin. And yes, from guilt and shame and yes, from disunity and yes, from bad relationships and yes, from destructive habits and yes, from harmful ways. But mainly his desire is to save us from his wrath, because you see, part of his perfect plan is to have a world where there is no more death, where there are no more tears, where the old things have passed away, where there is a peace that we can't even grasp right now. The final elimination of evil and wickedness. And it's going to be a time when Jesus comes back And when he restores things to what he intended them to be in the first place. And we talked last week about how God's perfect plan was really not Adam and Eve in the garden. His perfect plan is Christ in the garden. Christ in the garden, risen from the dead after having died on the cross for our sins and then meeting Mary in the garden as a risen Savior to offer us a brand new life and way of life. From there, he went on. He went on to ascend into heaven, and he is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and that is the only place That's right for him to be because he is God. The only difference between him and the Father are those distinctions that make him Jesus, that make him Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. We see in the passage where he says he didn't count it as, uh, as anything to be really concerned about and held on to, to empty himself of his godliness and to come and dwell among us. But he did that for a reason. In reality, you see, we don't get to say what God is like and we don't get to say what we'd like for him to do. Instead, he has told us what he is like and what we need to do. He's the one in control. No matter how people vote, no matter what people want, God's word will remain true and his plan will continue to unfold. And every day we see that plan getting closer and closer to fruition. We hear of Wars and rumors of wars. We see the famines and the pestilences. We see people's hearts growing cold and we see them uh, being rebellious against God and against uh, anything that their par- parents have ever taught them. We see all of that coming to fruition right now. In any moment now, we could hear the Trump sound and the Lord will ascend. And that is when things will start to really change. At age 86, Polycarp, the second century bishop of Smyrna and disciple of the apostle John, was brought to the Roman authorities and ordered to confess that Caesar is Lord. Though doing so would have saved his life and his guard loved Polycarp. His guard didn't want Polycarp to die. His guard, trying to look out for Polycarp, said, Polycarp, all you have to do is just say it. Just say, Caesar is Lord. You don't have to mean it. Just say it and we can let you live. And Polycarp's reply was, my Lord has been true to me and so true to me all these many years, how could I ever forsake him? And so, because he refused, Polycarp was martyred, inspiring others to remain faithful. Considered apart from Polycarp's story, it's not it was not unusual to refer to Caesar as kurios, the Greek term for lord. In the original Greek, kurios can mean simply sir, uh, as a polite and slightly exalted way of referring to another human being, or it can refer to a master of many slaves or servants. However, neither of these meanings were in mind when Rome applied the title kurios to the emperor. Instead, Curios signified divinity when used of the Caesar. A faithful Christian that he was, Polycarp could not call Caesar Lord without violating the most basic tenet of the Christian faith, and that is Jesus is Lord. Let's say that together now. Jesus is Lord early christians were mar- were they were uh, they were martyred because they refused to confess caesar as lord they knew that jesus alone was divine and they would have no one they would declare no one having his status these christians knew the new testament is not merely being polite when it says jesus is lord Rather, it is teaching that Jesus is God Almighty. Idols of sex, money, power, prestige, causes, political stances, political correctness, your particular crowd, and so on can become lords to you. They can become those things before whom you bow, before whom you yield, before whom you give obedience, you can say with your behavior that something else is Lord if you put it above Jesus Christ, who has made it clear that he is the way, the truth, the life. They can become lords if we're not careful. And therefore, let's make sure we always confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, and let this not be in words alone, but also in behavior, because you see, behavior follows belief. The declaration, Jesus is Lord, indicates that Jesus is God. Jesus holds, as he has told us since he rose from the dead, all authority on heaven and earth. It has been granted to him by the Father and ratified by the Holy Spirit. He is our only sovereign and Lord. The realm of Christ's reign covers everything that happens in heaven and on earth. No one, not even those who deny his existence, Not those who try to claim that someone else is their God or their Lord can be free of His rule or outside His sphere of authority. They may thumb their nose at Him and practice their own quote, lifestyle unquote, but one day they will bow their knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that word confess, I don't know if you ever thought about it. It does. That's not just a profession. It's not just a saying. Confession means to admit it. One of these days, even those who have willfully gone against God's word and thumbed their nose at it, they must can they will confess. They will admit and they will acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. None can be free of his rule or outside his sphere of authority because he made it all. We live and move and have our being in him. Although Satan tries to convince us that liberty is found in doing what we want to do, true freedom is acquired only through submission to Christ's loving lordship. Even death cannot release anyone from the authority of God's Son. He is Lord of both the living and the dead. All people must decide either to yield or to rebel against him, but they have the opportunity to make this choice only while they're still living. After death, they will acknowledge Christ's lordship through accountability to him. If we've not bowed the knee to Jesus in this life, we will be forced to bend it in the judgment. He is Lord legally. He is Lord actually. In fact, he is Lord right now. And somebody may say, he's not my Lord, not my Lord, but still He is legally, factually, actually your Lord, whether you want him to be or not. You see, when Jesus began his ministry, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, he was saying, it's beginning right now. As I proclaim this to you, it is here, the kingdom of God. He was talking about something very real and very important to every human being. It wasn't just a concept. It wasn't just a dream. It wasn't just an ideal that we can all buy into someday. It was a fact, and it is unfolding as we speak. Denying his lordship does not invalidate it. No matter what you say, no matter what you wish, he's still lord. At that point in time, he was heading to his inauguration. It took place after he rose from the dead and descended into heaven. And he has now as we said earlier, been exalted by God the Father and confirmed by the Holy Spirit to have all authority in heaven and on earth. It is his and he currently rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. No other, no other has the right to his throne. His inauguration has occurred, but his reign has not yet been consummated. Do you remember the parable he told about the wise and the fool bridesmaids? They were all awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom So they go with him to the marriage. Half of them were ready and half were not when the groom arrived. And only those who were ready were allowed to go with him. The Lord was warning us to be ready. And he wants you to be ready. Peter explains just how gracious and how patient the Lord is when it comes to all this. In 2 Peter, the third chapter of the second through the thirteenth verses, he says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. Now, he listened to this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter was looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. He was looking forward to the coming day of the Lord. And at the end of the book of Revelation, whenever we discover that he wins and we who are his win, it says, even so, Lord Jesus, come. He holds off because he wants as many as possible To be brought into his kingdom. That only happens in the here and the now. And Peter makes sure we see it's worth it. Jesus uh, tried to tell us it was worth it. He told us the story of a man who discovered a pearl of great price. And he went and sold everything that he had so he could have this pearl, which was worth so much more than anything he already had. He tells a story of a man who discovered a treasure hidden in a field, and he went and sold everything that he had, and he used it to purchase this field so he could have a treasure, which was worth more than he ever had. You see, in both cases, they gave up everything that they had in order to have so much more. Both men were willing to do that. Reminds me of the story of a rich man He'd been a godly man, but he just couldn't bear thinking of leaving this world without taking something with him. And he just begged the Lord to beg the Lord, please, let me just take just one suitcase full of something from here on earth. And the Lord said, well, you can't take it with you. Please. okay, one suitcase full. And so the day came and he stood before St. Peter at at the gate. And Peter said, well, I heard you got special dispensation to bring that in. But I am so curious. Let me see what you brought. And so he took the suitcase and he opened it up and he shook his head. He said, man, of all the things you could have brought from earth, you brought paving. You know, the streets will be paved with gold. His suitcase was filled with gold the things that we think are so precious here are just commonplace there. In fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him he tries to get us get it across to us. The surrender is worth it. It's worth everything that you're trying to hold on to. He has so much better for you right now. And he says, you are worth it. It's beyond our imagination if you stop and think about it. God the creator of even existence, if you can imagine that, the one who created everything that is and is in and of himself sufficient, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit could exist co-eternally forevermore without us, but they wanted us, they wanted you to be intimate with them to be closer to them than we can ever be to a person that's close to us in this world. He wants a closeness. The God, the creator of all, found it just fine to set all of his being God aside in order to come here and make a way for you to fellowship with him. Can you imagine? You are that significant. That is incredible. And he patiently waits for those who haven't come to know him yet to not just commit, but to surrender. And when you do, it is amazing what takes place. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.